Well, happy Easter. Not all of you are having a happy Easter, are you? <laughs> I get that. What was that? Indeed. Thank you for that. There is a lot of running around on Easter. There is the competitive Easter egg hunt. Easter egg hunts show us that kids can find things if they are really looking for them. <laughs> this Easter, however, reminds us of another running event. It was exactly 50 years ago, April 17, 1972, that the Boston Marathon allowed women to run in it for the very first time. And this lady, whose name is Nina uh, Kusick, emerged from the field to win the woman's part of that race, and all eight female participants finished the race. Running. When Mary arrived at the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the opening of the tomb, guess what she did? She laced up her Air Jordans and ran. <laughs> she ran, according to John, to tell Peter and to tell another disciple who was called the one that Jesus loved. Not sure why. They just didn't name the guy. Don't know why the guy went by that name. It sounds like a name that Kanye may want to take for himself. <laughs> but she ran and told Peter and the one that, lo that Jesus loved, and then they ran back to the tomb. Now, the Bible has a very weird detail here. It tells us that the one that Jesus loved outran Peter and arrived at the tomb first. Why does everybody have to be so competitive? And uh, there was one early church father who said that uh, the one that Jesus loved outran Peter was because Peter was married. Married and slow. <laughs> he had a dad bod, I guess. I kind of get that because within six months after Denise and I got married, I had packed on 25 pounds, and I was a lot slower, and I've gotten slower ever since. So, that Easter morning was not a lot of meditation and contemplation and calm reflection. It was like your house was this morning. It was a lot of emotion and a lot of commotion, very likely. So, Mary and Nina had a whole lot in common. They were both women, they both ran, and they both faced discrimination. The Boston Marathon for 75 years had no place for women. Women were shut out, they were ignored, they were underestimated. One running coach during the, this process of women's rights said that long-distance running was just too much for what he called fragile women. It was unladylike. It was against the natural order of things for women to run. There was even the popular belief that if a woman ran, her uterus would fall out. <laughs> so they went around along the race path and they found no uteruses <laughs> in 1972. And since nobody lost their uterus, they said it must be okay. So women have been running ever since. So just as 1972 was a turning point in the world of long-distance running for women, it was a turning point for the followers of Jesus. 
The culture in Jesus' time was also very much anti-woman. In Jesus' day, women were seen to be physically, mentally, spiritually inferior to men. But then Jesus came on the scene, the disruptor, the radical, the one who put a burr under the saddle of the status quo, the one that began to dismantle the patriarchy. Have you all heard about the new snack food that's out? Cracker Jill. (laughs) Well, I guess the battle for equality is over. Women still make only 82 cents for every dollar that a man makes. But come on, you've got Cracker Jill. What else would you want? Well, we want more. We want equality. Jesus wanted equality. That wasn't enough for Jesus. So Jesus did something very significant. Out of the whole realm of nature and out of the entire entire human populace, The Spirit of Jesus was revealed to a woman. Now, women in Jesus' day were not even allowed to learn the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Scripture. Their testimony in a court of law was pretty much discredited. It was discounted. But Jesus commissioned a woman to communicate to the men the news of the resurrection. See, Mary was the first Easter preacher. One early church father said that Mary was the apostle to the apostles. So Jesus entrusted to a woman the most important message of Christianity, and she preached it. But for whatever reason, churches around the United States today, contrary to Jesus, don't think women ought to preach. Does that cause anybody else to wonder? How did we get so far away from Jesus? That a Jesus who entrusts this message to a woman, we don't entrust to a woman the right, the authority to preach. We're so much like this cartoon by David Hayward. So, ladies, the men say, thanks for being the first to witness and report the resurrection. We'll take it from here. And the church has taken it from here. Men have taken it from here. How many of y'all, like Denise and me, in our background of religion, grew up being taught that men are the spiritual leader of the home? Men are the spiritual leader of the church. But that teaching, in my mind, does not jive with the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Of all of Jesus' followers, the women did not betray him. The women did not deny him. The women did not leave Jesus on the cross alone. It was the women who were true. It was the women who showed the spiritual backbone. It was the women who showed spiritual leadership. Now, wouldn't it have been nice if some of the disciples, just a few of them, 
not all 12, but just a few of them, had been hanging out, waiting, praying, grieving or mourning, whatever, in the garden where the tomb was located, instead of hiding in Jerusalem behind a locked door for fear, out of fear. It was the women who made themselves known, who exposed themselves to the public. Yeah. Not sure where we get this idea that women are not to be the spiritual leaders. They were in this most important event of Christianity. But that's not what happened. The men didn't show up. They were hiding out. It's the women that showed up. So Mary saw Jesus, and Jesus gave a commission. And we see this in John chapter 20. So the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she bit down and looked into the tomb. And so Mary went and told Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved, and they went to the tomb. And then, after the men looked into the tomb, John says they just went back home. They just went back home. Why would they go back home? That just seems so odd to me. They saw that Jesus' body was gone, and they just went back home, started playing video games. And it was Mary that stayed. It was Mary that waited. So the two disciples see the empty tomb. They go home. Mary stays. And then Mary sees Jesus. And the Spirit of Jesus communicates to Mary and commissions Mary to go back and tell the boys, the scared boys, the Freddy Cat boys, hiding in the upper room, what she has just seen. And Luke says, but these words seemed like pure nonsense to the boys. And they did not believe them. And women still sadly, are not believed today. Let's go on. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? It's an unusual question to me. It seems to be obvious why they were weeping. But maybe sometimes we need to be asked questions so we can face to face ourselves with our own emotions. I like that. And she said back to them, well, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Same question. Yeah. Whom are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Now, how in the world is she going to do that? It's a pretty ripe body by now. She's thinking she's going to carry that dead body someplace. I think it's interesting that Mary didn't recognize Jesus. It wasn't the only time that Jesus made an appearance and was not recognized 
two disciples were walking on the road and Jesus appeared to them and he walked with them the entire journey to Emmaus and they didn't recognize him and think about it. And, oh, that was Jesus. I don't know what that tells us about the spirit appearing after somebody dies. Jesus was alive, but what was appearing? It was not the same body. It was in Jesus in some form of a spirit. One writer even records that Jesus appeared through a wall from one room to another room to the disciples. So it made me wonder as I read this again this year, Easter, I wonder if my dad's spirit is kind of right here. You see him, Dad? He's making sure I'm not messing with y'all. He's preached a lot of Easter sermons. And I'm wondering if my mom's spirit is just right here. And she's saying to my dad's spirit, well, John, just let him preach. (laughs) Yeah. I like it. I don't know what that means, but I like it. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, and Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. I'm not sure what that means. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. I want us to focus on Jesus' words, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to the me that you used to know because I'm a new me. There are a lot of things that we used to hold on to that we've let go of, and we're not, we don't have any problem with, with let go and letting go of these things. These jungle gym death traps that uh, Denise and I played on as kids, they've got to be 10 feet off the ground. There's no soft floor down there. You fall off that, you're dead. And our parents encouraged us to play on them. We let go of them. I'm not sad about that. This is literally a baking sheet. (laughs) And with those short pants that we had on, sliding down that thing, we hoped it would be fast and not get stuck on that thing. I wasn't sad to see that go at all. We've let go of riding in the back of a station wagon with no seat belts. Our parents just did not care. We let go of lawn darts, duck or die. We played with those when we were seven years old. Unsupervised. <laughs> oh, I like this. VHS, that's an old tight way to record programs that we... Hey, Thomas, if you tape over this, you die. You will burn in hell. <laughs> that is the gospel truth right there. My sister, four-year-old sister than me, got married five years before Denise and I did. They got married in 75, and they taped over their wedding. They put some silly Christmas morning or ball game or something over their wedding, and my brother-in-law's in hell right now (laughs) for taping over that. We all remember taking that photo and waiting two weeks to get the film back 
to see if our pictures turned out. We've let go of those things and have had no problem letting go. And I'm just wanting to propose to you, are there things that you need to let go of that may be a little bit more difficult? Maybe we need to let go of the way things were. Maybe we need to let go of some of the things in the past. Maybe we need to let go of some of our older views that we were taught, our perspectives that were shaped, our views of God, our views of others, our views of ourselves. Maybe you heard these things from preachers like me. I've heard these things. And these things that you've been told have now become your self-talk. And they're burning you like a slide. Let go. You've been told to tell yourself that I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. God is mad at me. God might reject me. God allows evil to make me a better person. Sin separates me from God. Heard that all my life. As a little kid, vacation Bible school and Sunday school, they'd have the diagrams on the flannel graph or the chalkboard. Humanity over here on this one cliff, God over here on another cliff, separated by a big chasm. And written along that big chasm was in big, bold, dark letters, S-I-N, sin separated you from God. I was taught that, and I taught that. I wonder if I need to let that go. Now, religions love that teaching, that sin separates you from God. Because if a religion can convince you that you are separated from God, then you are at the mercy of that religion to tell you how to get unseparated. Well, Philip... Why don't you believe that anymore? Because I don't see that in Jesus. Jesus is called by John in John chapter 1, the word of God, the expression of God, the Greek word is logos. The expression, the full expression of God. So if Jesus is the full expression of God, and you read the Gospels, one thing you will notice almost on every page the church people, the Pharisee people, the religious people are just up in arms because Jesus is hanging out, the Word of God, the expression of God, Jesus hangs out with, has lunch with, has beverages with, uh, enjoys being with who? Sinners. And if sin separates us from God and Jesus is the expression of God, then what the heck is Jesus doing with all those sinners? So I don't think I believe that anymore. I need to let go of that. That sin does not separate me from God. If sin separated me from God, Jesus would not be hanging around the sinners. The only people that taught that sin separates us from God in Jesus' day were the religious people. They wanted control. They wanted to convince people that they were separated from God so the people would come to them to find out how to be unseparated. So I'm in this process for the last 20 years of 
letting go of a Jesus that I don't see in the Gospels. A Jesus that I think has been framed more by Christianity, by Christendom, than has been framed by the stories of Jesus. I'm letting go of a Christianity that seems to be in many ways devoid of Christ-like character and traits. I'm letting go of a Jesus that says, I love you, but if you don't love me back, I will torture you in hell forever. I was taught that. Jesus loves you, but if you don't love him back, God will torture you in hell forever. Jesus loves me, this I know. But if I don't love him back. And I began about 20 years ago to re-examine that. And I thought, really? Because 20 years ago, uh, we had an experience in another church uh, of a victim of domestic abuse. And do you know what the abuser said to the victim? I love you. And the abuser said to the victim, I love you, and if you don't love me back the way I want you to love me, then I will hurt you. And I heard the victim tell Denise and me that, and then I thought, that's what we've been saying Jesus is saying. I don't think that statement reflects love at all. That is abusive. That's manipulation and that's control. I am letting go of some views that I have of Jesus. I'm not letting go of Jesus. I'm just letting go of my views of Jesus and my thoughts about Jesus. And I'm trying to embrace thoughts that reflect the person of Jesus described on the pages of the Scripture. And so that's what we're doing in this series. What if Christians actually were Christian? How different I would be. I ask a very important question on my Facebook page this week. It's deep. We love questions at the venues, and here's an important one. What are your thoughts on chocolate bunnies that are hollow on the inside? This will determine your eternal destiny. (laughs) And your answers were absolutely fun. I love these. I didn't get a chance to put all of them up here because I did this sermon on Wednesday. I like it. The calories don't count, and those hollow ones give me more hollow then, right? A true waste of space. Disappointing. I like the solid ones. That is so true. If you're expecting a solid bunny and you get a hollow bunny, your world has just caved in. We've got a hollow one here. He looks good, but it's empty. Give me the solid one. Disappointing. I like the solid ones like most things. Oh, my gosh. This is sad but true. Like most things, Christian, they can be a bit disappointing. Have you ever been disappointed in Christianity? Why, sure. Our view of Christianity is that everything's going to be great. If I do this, God will do that. And it doesn't always happen that way. False advertising. 
Yeah, you're expecting one thing and you're getting something else. And these, meta, these answers are metaphors that speak to the question, what if Christians were Christian? I wonder if sometimes Jesus looks at us who bear the name of Christian and he sees false advertising, like Cliff said. I'm afraid he's done that with me, not living according to the values of Jesus. So, whoops, I'm so sorry. Today is Easter. It's a great day to let go, not of Jesus necessarily, but maybe to let go of some false views of Jesus. Yes, you were taught these views by well-meaning people, but that doesn't mean they're right. I taught a lot of wrong things. And that could mean that I'm teaching you wrong today. And you need to look at that. And you need to consider that. Think about this yourself. Don't believe it. Don't follow it. Because I say it. But this is what I've discovered for me. And it's helped me to let go of particular views of Jesus so I can take hold of maybe a truer person of Jesus. So let go of those views that maybe don't fit the Jesus that we see on the pages of the Gospels. And then run. Now, not everybody's into running. I get that. And this is the, the, the picture I want to show you. My favorite running movie is Brittany Runs a Marathon. It's a story about a young girl who's making some positive changes in her life by training for the New York City Marathon. So in this scene is her first run, and she's terrible at running. And it makes me feel better about my own terrible running. But she gets some encouragement from another newbie, and maybe you will too. Let's take a look at this scene. Hey, here's my takeaway. From just that scene, the whole movie is a good lesson. My takeaway is that I want to run. I want to run this race. And I don't want to run alone. I need a partner. I need another newbie who's on this journey. On this journey, I want to run away from views of Jesus that don't fit the actual Jesus of the New Testament. I uh, want to, in my own life, break into the chocolate of my own life. And I don't want to be false advertising. I, people know who I am. And I see people throughout every week who recognize me and I don't recognize them. And it always makes me think, gosh, I really hope I'm not, I wasn't seen picking my nose <laughs> or driving in a non-kind way because people see me and I don't want to be false advertising. But you don't either. You don't want to be false advertising. And if you wear the name of Christian, I really do think you want to live like Christ. So I want to run that race with you. I want you to run it with me. And together, let's just run the race. We don't have to win the race. Let's just finish the race. 
Let's just finish, and, and when we see Jesus face to face, we can hear Jesus say, well, you did okay. You had a few downsides, but well done, my good and faithful servant. But I also want to let go. I want to let go of some wrong views that I've held, some wrong views that I've taught of Jesus. And I want to practice what this guy says. I want to tell myself, you're a blankety-blank gazelle. I want to hear from my own mouth what God says about me. That you are good, Philip, you are loved, and you are lovable. And you have within you the light. Just don't put a bushel over the light. You are made in my image, God says. And you are to be a blessing, to not a curse to others. I just want my talk to reflect God's talk. So on this Easter, whether you like hollow bunnies or solid bunnies, doesn't matter. What does matter is... Let's not allow our lives to be false advertising. Find a running partner. Talk to yourself in the way that God talks to you. In words of affirmation and encouragement. Be who you are. And that is a person loved by God. This is my beloved child. I am well pleased with you. It's what God says to each of us. Live that out.